Hello, I'm Hal Lublin. And I'm Mark Gagliardi. Since the dawn of humanity, one issue has gone unsettled. With the fate of the world in the balance, we're here to settle once and for all. Best short-lived TV show. That's right. Don't worry, everyone. We got this. Podcasts should have a theme song. Podcasts should not have a theme song. Yes, they should. No, they shouldn't. They sound good. Yeah, but people are just going to skip past it. Hmm. You know what? You're right. We got this. Welcome to We Got This with Mark and Hal, the show that settles the debates that no one else will touch. Mark, how are you feeling? I'm feeling good. It seems weird having a lead-in sentence. Like Isn't it weird? intro sentence <laughs> after weird. 400 episodes. It feels like we're the nightly newscasters. Well, you know, I just, we have to step it up uh, and add something new. It was either that or I recast you with a dog. And I don't oh, want to do that. Well, that you know why? Because usually it's on anything where a dog is one of the co-stars. Mm-hmm. It's more about their facial expressions and yeah. them nudging doors and things with their nose, which is hard to do on a podcast. This dog could type. Ooh. Which well, you can hear that, but you can't appreciate. They would just think I was typing. Yeah. They wouldn't know it was the dog. But I swear. This was is there a, a text to speech element involved or was it just straight? Oh, that's a good point you make. You know, first he would bark into a tape recorder and then play it back and he would type out what he, he, yeah, because like he flows better that way. And speaking of writing, we're going to talk about short lived TV shows, but we have a returning guest. Thankfully, it took less time to have him on for a second time than it did to have him on for a first time. That is the president of the Jim Henson Legacy, who has a new book out called Sam and Friends, the story of Jim Henson's first television show. Welcome back, Craig Shaman. Thank you. Thank you. It's so great to be back with you. It's so good to have you here. This book looks amazing. I'm very excited about it. Tell everybody about this show that I had never heard of before. This short-lived series. Well, it's a short show, but it, you know, it's a long-lived series. Oh, really? Well, it ran from 1955 to Mm -hmm. 1961, but it also only about 15 episodes exist now because it was all done live. It was local to uh, local to DC and it was Jim Henson's first regular series of his own and it introduced kermit he did it with his wife jane henson and this book is all about how that came about and uh cool yeah it's it's really amazing when you think about it because this guy he he made kermit the frog right after he got out of high school you know he's doing this show as a college job and at some point decides hey i think this could be something i can keep doing amazing and what was kermit made of his mother's coat that's so great. <laughs> he always wanted to emphasize that the original Kermit was not the bright green color that mm-hmm. we know him to be today because he didn't want people to think that his mother wore this, you know, brightly colored <laughs> green coat. It was sort of more of a milky turquoise uh, color. And uh, But the show yeah. was in black and white, yeah? Well, it started in black and white, but since they were on one of the local NBC stations and mm-hmm. NBC originated the color system they went to color in 1959 no kidding yeah and um you know jane had told me that jim wasn't that crazy about doing that because he had worked everything out in black and white yeah you know uh, so now he had to figure out what would look good in black and white and color because the show was on in two markets it was on in washington dc and it was on in baltimore where the sponsor was located mm-hmm. but in baltimore they didn't have color yet so they were still broadcasting in black and white in baltimore 
That wow. is so cool. It's so funny to think about Jim Henson working, being annoyed about having to work in color when I think of each Muppet having their own color palette and how color is such a hugely important part of the Muppets. Now. Absolutely. Yeah. You know? yeah. And, you know, when you see the pictures of the characters at that point, they're mm-hmm. beautiful. You know, not a lot of color material exists. There are a couple of uh, films that they had done in color and a handful of photos that are in color. The book has all the photos in black and white, but if you get the ebook, some of them are in color. Ah, there you go. But they, yeah, the characters are, are great in black and white or color. But yeah, it was, uh, you know, a lot of people don't think of them doing color as early as, as 1959 because yeah. most of the rare kinescopes that we see up until the mid sixties are black and white. This is, I'm so excited to read this book now. Yeah. And it's so exciting to think that, that any footage at all exists from it, just mm-hmm. thinking that it was local, but it's like, here is a cultural icon figuring it out on the job. Yeah. While in co- like starting in college and we're, uh, when he starts, we're what, 20 years away from the Muppet show pilot yeah. even being filmed. Yeah. So Almost in between exactly, all yeah. that, you have everything from, from, uh, from the Jimmy Dean show to all of the ad work they did to his experimental short films. And also like the, the format, didn't Frank Oz come on during Frank came on right after Sam and friends. In fact, he wrote so, the, um, the forward for the book. Yeah. He, he was, uh, you know, he was too young. He was, would have joined for Sam and friends, but he was still in high school. So he had <laughs> so Jerry Jewell took his spot. Uh, Gosh. Uh, Frank came in a few years later. It's just but the, crazy, uh, the like, one thing that made the book possible that only 15, only 15 visual records exist, but Jim started making audio tape recordings in 1958. Uh-huh. So there are more than 400 episodes preserved on audio. So we know, wow. you know, what songs they were using and what mm-hmm. sketches sounded like. And then we have a bunch of scripts that survive. Like Jim saved most everything that existed. It was just too expensive to make kinescopes uh, on a regular basis. Yeah. The audio tape versions, those weren't used for production. It wasn't like he recorded them and then puppeteered along to the audio. The audio recordings were made while they were shooting the show. Yeah. Those were just straight uh, sound checks off the air. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. But he also, I think one of the reasons he saved them was so he could reuse them later on. Mm -hmm. And, And that's why, you know, that's why he sort of saved them because... While the show was performed live every night, the audio was always pre-recorded. Yeah. So we do have some of the acetate records that they played from from the uh, control room that, uh, you know, Jane Henson saved them for many years in her garage. So they were not in great condition, but we cleaned them up and, and transferred them so we could figure out, you know, more of the story. That's and the whole thing was that Jim just, he didn't want to be a puppeteer. He just yeah. wanted to work in television. Mm-hmm. In know, any that, capacity, in any capacity. And it happened to be that this TV station, another TV station in that market was looking for a, a young puppeteer to participate in this like for this kid's version of the CBS morning show that was airing on the network. Local DC wanted to do, well, we'll do a kid's version on the weekends and we'll have kids read the news and we'll have a young puppeteer because the network show has Bill Baird. And Jim said, hey, that's my in. He knew nothing about puppets, but he went to the library, got a couple of books, made puppets, auditioned, got the job. And the next thing you know, he's a puppeteer. I mean, any like 
I love a good origin story. And one of my now, as of this moment, new favorite origin stories includes the sentence, Jim Henson knew nothing about puppets. Yeah. That's, <laughs> but also like any that... story that begins there is like, okay, I'm on board for whatever this ride is going to be. And, and that's sort of one of the reasons why he succeeded because he didn't know what he shouldn't be doing. Right. You what know? do you mean you're, what do you mean this chef has your hands? Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. a lot of things, you know, up until that point, you know, a lot of puppets had hard, rigid faces because mm-hmm. they were done for puppet theater where you couldn't see mm-hmm. up close. So it didn't make sense to have the puppets do little manipulating, uh, you know, expressions. But Jim knew that he was doing television. He was close up. So that's what he was going to do. He's, he's going to make oh, wow. puppets that could be more expressive. The first puppets he built were the traditional kind. That Punch and Judy sort of yeah. like uh, formed head. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sort of like, ish. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. yeah. and then he qu- learned quickly that he needed to have, he, you know, the television was more close up. So he, he started building puppets like Kermit that could be more yeah. expressive. I mean, these guys. And then, you know, a few years later, they're doing takes like Jack Benny to the camera. And it's, yeah. yeah amazing. Brilliant. Just oh, I like- love that. I know. I, I like, I, I want to talk about short-lived TV I shows, know. but I also like, <laughs> I want to just keep talking me, about the Muppets. It occurs to me how much of Jim Henson's career is defined by him trying to stretch into other mediums. And then the Muppets became his key to, to mm-hmm. do, all right, this got me into TV. Now mm-hmm. I'm going to, uh, work more on, you know, developing as a writer. And then I want to be a filmmaker. So the Muppets slowly go to film after his experimental stuff, which still like oddly as weird as it is still has a lot of the DNA of like what makes the Muppets interesting. Like his voice is very much a part of those. So mm-hmm. just everything he did was just like, push, push, push. We're going to do stuff. I'm going to do stuff that not even I shouldn't be doing, but nobody thinks I can do it. And That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's in, just crazy. when he, in the sixties, he was doing all this Muppet stuff and he was doing commercials and the Ed Sullivan show to raise money, but essentially to do timepiece and the other experimental things that he was spending, mm-hmm. you know, he, he was making money on commercials to spend it, to make short films and stuff. It was sort of, you know, he saw himself as a filmmaker and an artist. Yeah. And I think it wasn't until Sesame street came along that he sort of made a real full dive into doing the Muppets mostly mm-hmm. until he had a chance to do things like the dark crystal, you know, right. You know, Dark Crystal wouldn't have happened unless he had the massive success of the Muppet Show. Right. And, like, Dark Crystal was amazing. Was I love that the the idea that he had basically his own version of the Hollywood studio system, but all the stars that he controlled were in a closet and could all fit in, yeah. you know, yeah. in one room and yeah. on one hand or two. <laughs> or at the dry cleaners. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry, my leading lady can't perform today. She's at the dry cleaner getting a stain out of a felt. But yeah, it's wild. And the, doing the book was, was so much fun. But one of the big reasons I wanted to do it mm-hmm. was to give credit to Jane Henson because yeah. they started out together. They were friends in University of Maryland. They were in the same puppetry class and he invited her to work with him doing some, uh, you know, a show called Afternoon, mm-hmm. which they did before Sam and Friends. And then they sort of became partners and eventually became uh, romantically connected but jane always went out of her way to defer any credit and give it to jim 
Uh, I love that. I because I was worried when I was, you know, I'm I'm seeing this story and I'm I'm checking all this stuff out about the book and the story of the two of them. And I think, well, if she was such an instrumental person in this, why am I only? Why do I only know the name Jim Henson? And it's because it's be, that was by design. That was her humility yeah, and her and, lifting and, him up and wanting to be in that role, huh? Yeah, and I did interviews with her before I even knew that this there was going to be a book and. She would always say, well, it was really Jim's vision. I just helped. Mm -hmm. You know, she would say things like, oh, you know, for you to think that I had anything more to do with it, it's just silly. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't. She built some of the puppets. She was there and kept the show going when Jim wanted to travel and go to Europe. You know, she was really uh, involved. And when they incorporated, she was a 40 percent partner. You know, it's not just a a helper, you know, so I I really wanted to do this. And, you know, if Jane were alive, she would probably be embarrassed, if not a little angry about (laughs) the level of, uh, you know, uh, credit that's given to her in this book. But uh, both uh, Brian J. Jones, who wrote the biography of Jim Henson, who he shared a lot of his research with me on this book, Mm -hmm. you know, he had the same experience when he interviewed Jane. You know, when he uh, he had just uh, tweeted about it, that uh, when Jane read his first draft, she said, oh, you've given me too much credit, you know, you yeah. and that was just the way she was. Uh, you know, she it was she I think she thought it was a cleaner story if it was Jim Henson's Muppets. But when hmm. you look at the newspaper clippings of the time. They were always listed in the newspapers like Jim and Jane Henson are coming, you know, Jim Henson and Jane Nebel are bringing their Muppets to this. And what happened was er, while Sam and Friends was still on the air, they had their first child, Lisa. And I think that Jane started pulling back from the regular work schedule Mm -hmm. and being more of mom. So that was sort of like throughout the 60s, she was not really associated with the Muppets in the same way as she was in the beginning. And that, I think, is one of the reasons why later on people don't really associate her with the Muppets. Well, we're happy to associate her now and celebrate her now indeed, via your book, which everyone should check out. This it's a fascinating and cool story. In the dedication, the book is dedicated to my wife, Stephanie, and to Jane. And I say, you know, she's going to get her share of credit and there's nothing she can do about it. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Well, let's leap from talking about. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Good night. Thank you. That was it. We appreciate (laughs) it. it. That's all the time we have for today. It was all the the answer was coded into that discussion. (laughs) Yeah. Go back and if you get your ring. You're, we got this decoder ring. You'll figure out the answer. Wait a minute. It's just it's just the 2015 Muppets. That's what the decoder ring. Is. <laughs> no, it's American Gothic. Oh, Gary Cole as an evil sheriff with demonic powers. <laughs> there are so many great short lived television shows. Too many, in fact, I would argue. So I propose that as our way of really trying to dive into what is the all time greatest short-lived television series. We can set up a few ground rules. We can set up what we think constitutes a great short-lived TV show. And using the giant brain of our encyclopedically knowledged friend, Craig, mm. dive in. We, we can't let this brain go to waste. No. We are going to dive in and find out whatever answer we come up with today is going to be the correct answer. Of course. Do you think, Mark, that we could, like, I love this, 
So are you saying we sort of discuss general criteria and then can yeah. we sort of take turns throwing stuff out? Take turns throwing out. We may our, have yeah. some that are the same. We're, we're saying like two seasons. Is that enough for a short-lived television show? Two or less? I was going to throw out one. I was going to throw out single season shows as short lived because there are a lot of shows that have two seasons. There are some, I think, that get two seasons, mm-hmm. but because they feel so wildly unfinished mm-hmm. that that makes it that sort of lends to the short lived nature of it. I do think perhaps, if it makes it perhaps three it's seasons. less than two full seasons because mm-hmm. there are a lot of shows that get like 13 and then an additional nine. Right. Something like that in the second season that it's not quite two seasons, but it's not really one season. Yeah. Because if we're going if we're going two full seasons, the answer is Blood and Treasure asked and answered. But if we're doing <laughs> less than why. two seasons. They, yeah. Why didn't they bring back that guy from the YouTube video? It seemed like there's a lot to explore there. He was going to get a spinoff, I think. Man, I, I was so I fired up. I was so fired up. And then to look on Twitter and people go, is that how? That was awesome. <laughs> that was awesome. Again, my voiceover superpower is that I cannot disguise my voice. Everybody knows it's me. No matter what. I was like, no, that was supposed to be Peter Lorre. Oh here, listen. God. Listen again. Hi, it's me, Peter Lorre. You don't like me, do you, Rick? It's uncanny. You're the Jim Dale during audiobooks of uh, television. <laughs> oh, Harry. Harry. Hermione. Ron. Severus Snape. Uh, like what, I, the reason why why I'm thinking of two seasons is one, I I don't think this is short lived because it 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 also can't I I also think it can't be something that has come back like Twin Peaks oh, is a great example of this unfinished symphony but it's this weird alchemy because you know David Lynch is making this show with absolutely no intention of ever solving the murder of Laura Palmer. Like he's yeah. not going to do it. He's just going to like like almost every David Lynch piece of art, which is not generally my it's like not something I enjoy as much. It's just like this would be funny. This is interesting. Hey, you go over there and walk through the door backwards. We're going to film it. Yeah. Like it just whatever he thinks is interesting. And a lot of times it is there is something compelling. And that show was a cultural moment. But the yeah. the network be, like sees it coming is like you have to solve the murder. You have to turn this into linear. Like this whole show is built on who killed Laura Palmer, who killed Laura Palmer, who killed Laura Palmer. So then they solve it at the beginning of the second season. The show goes like off the rails. We do get Heather Graham coming in as Annie. We get the, mm-hmm. the, uh, like one of the creepiest endings to a television show ever that is really not an ending at all, but just like it feel, it makes it feel like the entirety of the series at that point was a lead up to the last 30 seconds that you get to see on screen. So there are a lot of reasons why it goes off the air. Once the murder solved, the air is sort of out of the balloon and people mm-hmm. stop watching. ABC moves it like five or six times. So you don't even know when to watch it. Like I remember trying to figure out when it was going to be on mm-hmm. and it wasn't even like even some, some weeks like it just wouldn't air. Something else would preempt it. So it, it like. David Lynch killed the show, ABC killed the show, and then it came yeah. back and he got to make it on his own terms and sort of maybe not tie up loose. I actually did not watch the follow-up because I, I knew uh, just something about it felt like I, I need to watch it because Eric's in it and I love mm-hmm. Eric and I want to support everything he does. But I, I haven't rushed to watch it just because the original series is such an interesting like piece to look at on its own just in how television is made. But I don't think it's the yeah. best short-lived series by any stretch. But I do think it is a sh- – it oddly, for me, qualifies and doesn't because it was massively popular, probably could have gone longer 
had mm-hmm. it been structured differently. And we still remember it. Like it gained enough of a, it had enough of a following over the years that Showtime went like, all right, David Lynch here, make more Twin Peaks. So you are championing and then and immediately not a, eliminating. Not endorsing. I'm giving Twin reasons Peaks. why, why we could consider it. One, one is it was popular while it was on the air or mm-hmm. gained a huge following once it was off the air. I think there's a lot of that that's going to wind up happening. And the feeling of incompletion that it has, mm. I think, also oh, there's a lot of that too. Sure. Yeah, and that's sort of baked into the show. But you mentioned that you didn't want to necessarily uh, add this to the mix because it wasn't so short-lived. Because it came back in another iteration much later. Right. I would argue Battlestar Galactica for the same reasons. 1979, Absolutely. one season with Bonanza Man. And then, uh, it Lauren comes Green? Back. Yes, Lauren Green. <laughs> As a like, I mean, his, his name escaped me for a, just Dirk a Bonanza Man. Is, that's actually one of the lesser known heroes in the Marvel Universe. <laughs> yeah. He had it's the ability. Show, though. Yeah. Whatever he touches burns from yeah. the middle out. <laughs> he had the ability to have four sons, all of which were the same age as he was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By the way, Dan Blocker Beach, shout out to one of the great character actors, Dan Blocker. So beloved that when he passed away, the rest of his friends from Bonanza bought a chunk of land in Malibu. And you can now go visit the overlook that is Dan Blocker Beach. And it is a stunning overlook in Malibu. Yeah. Uh, or and his, his son was on uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine for many years. Which Who's his son? Uh, either uh, Hitchcock or, or Scully. I can't. Oh, uh, that's the one that looks it. like Dan Blocker. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. So let's figure out what our criteria are going to be. Then we'll take a little break and we'll start throwing out some shows that we think will make the cut. Can I ask a quick question of Craig? Because I think you bring up a really good example with Battlestar Galactica because it went for one season was is it's sort of etched into pop culture as a as like one of the early shows of like, hey, Star Wars is popular. We should make a space show. But the the later version is a reimagining. It is not a continuation. So, Craig, do you think. In your opinion, would a series that is short-lived but got a later version that is not – it's just sort of like we're completely redoing it. Does that disqualify the original series? You know, I I don't think so because one of the other examples that I'm going to throw out later is Police Squad. The same thing Mm. could be argued that it came back as this – you know, hugely successful series of movies. But that doesn't make the series any longer lived, you know. Yeah, it, it, it's it was still, still only six, six episodes, episodes and it should be regarded as such. And I think if anything, it's it goes to the argument that it should have gone on, that that it's a, you know, yeah, it, it's a beloved <laughs> show. Well, so many things were cut short. Richard Pryor's show cut short. Yeah. Cut, a lot of shows cut down before their time. Indeed. For not just for just for being ahead. I of think it. this is going to be like an eight episode miniseries. This might this is going to be a short lived series of its own. Yes. This is our lonesome dove. <laughs> I, I, it's funny you bring up Police Squad because that is one I had on my list, and I just—I have an—I have an asterisk I, next to it. I too. started laughing because I my favorite gag from all of Police Squad was the runner they had at the beginning of every episode where they would say tonight's episode, <laughs> the darkness awaits. But whatever the episode, whatever the the uh, the Chiron or the the superimposed title reads is completely different, and they did yeah. that every yeah. single time. And that's also they would they would have their big guest star of the week die in the first ten seconds. So good. <laughs> And I loved the the running gag that they had at the end where they would do the freeze frame that wasn't mm-hmm. actually a freeze frame. 
And yes. it was great. But that was a great thing about that show is they, they figure out a gag and then they figure out, okay, what are the different ways we can do that gag? Gentlemen, I we think we're getting ahead of ourselves. I, yeah, we, we are, are, but now we're just talking oh. about it. We'll take our break in a second. We'll take our break in a second. I want to talk about the police criminal squad. who's the only one that can move. That's like, the criminal who's the only one that can can't move. Can't escape from the room, but can't yeah. figure out how to get anybody else moving is priceless. They took that gag and they just let a chimp loose. Do you remember there was an episode <laughs> yeah. where there was just, they all froze, but a chimp doesn't know what he's doing. So this chimp's just running around the set. Pouring coffee was my other favorite one. Middle of pouring a cup of coffee, but he has to just stand there with his hand pouring hot coffee everywhere. And then there was the, when they had the fire going on and the place is falling apart. (laughs) So we've established that it can come back, but it can't be a continuate. Like the the films are separate from the TV show. The TV show, that original series has to stand alone. So, so Battlestar Galactica would qualify because the later series was a reimagining. Yeah, but but also the later series is way better than that original. Right. That one year is not the best television show. Arrested Development would not because it came back and they continued. They picked it up and they did more seasons of it. Yeah. So that would not qualify. Has to be high quality. And we're looking for something that made an impact, either blew up a career or several careers, was a self-contained thing. Do we need? Are we looking at? Are we? Do you think that something that left? too soon and left too many questions is that going to weigh as much as something that was a perfectly crafted short series that was designed to be short like a series that is a netflix series that's supposed to be a six-parter or is that a mini series is a totally different i think that's a different thing if it was intended to be short-lived yeah we're talking about unintentionally short-lived gotcha yeah cut down in its prime or before it got to the point where it would have been a lot better All right. Well, now that we know what we're dealing with, let's take that break and we will come back in a few minutes. But first, let's tell you about some of the other great shows on the Maximum Fun Network. We will be right back. Hi, I'm Jackie Cation. Hello, I'm Lori Kilmerton. We do a podcast called The Jackie and Lori Show, and you could listen to it anytime you want it because there's hundreds of episodes. Yeah, I mean, we've been doing comedy forever, and we should both quit. So why don't you listen up (laughs) before we leave this not only terrible business, but this awful world. And find out why we can't. (laughs) Because we love it so. (laughs) The Jackie and Lori Show, every week here on MaximumFun.org. Hi, it's Jesse Thorne, the founder of Maximum Fun. I am breaking into this programming to say... Thank you to MaxFund's members. Your purchases in this year's post-MaxFund Drive patch sale raised over $50,000 for Trans Lifeline. Maybe you already know about the good work that Trans Lifeline does. If you don't, they're a trans-run organization that offers direct emotional and financial support to trans people in crisis. If you want to learn more about the work Trans Lifeline does or support them further, go to translifeline.org. Thanks for supporting Maximum Fun. Thanks for supporting Trans Lifeline. And thanks for being awesome people who want to do good in the world. All right. Let's jump back in and talk about some of the other shows. Now that we know vaguely what our criteria are or roughly what our criteria are going to be, uh, let's just start. We'll start going around the horn and throwing out some shows. And when we think we've exhausted the list of super contenders, then we'll start whittling it back down. How's that sound? Uh, Craig, as our guest, would you like to go first? 
Yeah, I'll go first. And it's a sort of on the, uh, it's sort of on the cusp of the, the one and a half season mark. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to throw out Brooklyn Bridge. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. was a, mm-hmm. a really beautiful show, uh, that Gary David Goldberg produced. And yeah. I got to spend a little time with Gary when the Writers Guild East presented him with an award. So I, when I talked to Gary about, uh, coming out to accept it and, you know, he, it was clear that it was one of the things he was really proud of. And it's one of those shows that not only should have gone on, gone on longer, but right now is in this sort of distribution limbo because there's so much vintage music in it. And mm. at one point, oh, yeah. Gary had told me that he w- had offered to CBS uh, and to, who distributes the show. He had offered to pay for some of the music licensing. To, if it could come out on DVD and it just sort of never happened, you know, they, but it's one of these really sweet shows. It's about a family, a Jewish family in Brooklyn. It's a autobiographical uh, to an extent about uh, Gary's life. And it, it was just uh, him and uh, his brother growing up in, uh, in Brooklyn and uh, Marion Ross from happy days played mm-hmm. the grandmother and Amy Aquino was the mother and Peter Friedman, who had, was actually a Muppet performer for a while. Peter Friedman played the father. Um, wow. Peter Friedman also played the seven foot uh, singing carrot in the Gilda Radner Muppet Show episode. Amazing. But he didn't play the carrot on Brooklyn Bridge. No, no, there was no they wrote out the carrot. That was that's fair. a storyline that didn't make it. And, well, that's why uh, it didn't go to full season. Got in, indie music uh, legend uh, Jenny Lewis uh, was a little uh, red haired girl. Uh, and, uh, no that kidding. The kid was in wow. love with the, the, she, she was the she was the shiksa that uh, that the young boy was in love with. And, and Gary David Goldberg went to this. This was his next project after Family Ties, right? I think there was like one or two in between because there was another okay. short-lived show called Day by Day that had Oh yes, the Dreyfus. one with Julia Dreyfus uh and wasn't wasn't a young George Newman in that as well? Like or George Newburn? Is that is that I think it, it might have been, yeah. It's the two yuppies who go to the suburbs to run a daycare. Yeah, I watched yeah. that show mm-hmm. religiously. I watched it religiously and did not know until years later that Julia Louis Dreyfus was on the show. Like it didn't I never connected. I didn't connect that until later on. Somebody had to tell me, but I love that show too. Yeah. And, and it's sort of a, just a lot of wonderful little moments. Uh, yeah. very, you know, um, it, it's, it's a beautiful show. So that, that's one of the ones that I'll, I'll throw out. I love that. That's a really good one. I like that. Um, I, I have one that I think uh, maybe this will, str- maybe this is stretching the limit. It did go to full seasons. However, Mm-hmm. I think it it was wildly underappreciated in its time and is now is now something that is appreciated and should have had a lot more time than it did, which is Aaron Sorkin's Sports Night. I thought it was a fantastic it was a fantastic show. It had an amazing cast, uh, including Felicity Huffman, Peter Krause, our friend Josh Molina, uh, and the great Robert Guillaume, who suffered a stroke during production and they worked that into the show. Like in a real, like just la- allowed him to sort of work it out on screen, which was yeah. incredible. It was like a really, it's a really well written show. And it's, and part of it was doomed from the, at the start, they had a laugh track, which you don't, you shouldn't put a laugh track on, on an Aaron Sorkin show. And he's had other shows that are 
short-lived that were part of the the really great research that that our pal Kate McManus put together. Like, I don't think Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip is a contender. But uh, hold on one second. That was the show I was about to throw out. Are there. you serious? Yes. To piggyback off of Sports Night, it was a shorter lived show. It was only one season, but it was also a legendary cast. What Sports Night did for sports broadcasting, Studio 60 was for a late night, uh, was basically for SNL. I thought it was brilliant. I thought it had some of the best writing I've seen in my experience. And maybe oh. it's because. I'm a person who came up doing sketch comedy and where that was aspirational. And I thought the characters that Matthew Perry and Brad Whitford played on it, I thought were brilliantly written. And all of what Aaron Sorkin wanted to say about writing comedy, a lot of what he wanted to say about writing comedy, he said via the scripts on that show. The show within the show was not usually funny, which is a death knell for a show about a comedy. But yeah. that for a said, if you're doing a, a show that's kind of inspired by Saturday Night Live, which is an, an unevenly written show, yeah. you're going to have a show within that show that's unevenly written. Although I don't know if they intended it to be that way. Right. That's exactly my thought, Craig. And that's what bothered me about the show. Like, mm-hmm. great cast, of course. Aaron Sorkin knows how to write dialogue. And it introduced the, me to Sarah the, Paulson. You, you I asked, not for the, asked for the laugh instead of asking for the salt or, what, or the whatever butter. it is, the butter in yeah. that first episode. Like, yes, I like it's it's I almost feel like someone's mansplaining comedy to yeah. to me to the show. And the show within a show does not seem like it's funny at all. So yeah. it, it, in that way, it, it felt. It just didn't that part didn't work like newsroom works really well because you believe that the new show that they're on was a reputable new show at one point mm-hmm. and that jeff daniel's character is actually like a a or was a revered broadcast journalism figure mm-hmm. you don't buy that the show is for, like it's clear when i look at it i'm like oh i know why this didn't make it past the season i know why why people maybe yeah i think one of the things yeah. that I, I think we may have i don't know if we discussed it, it i think we mentioned in the criteria that it that the shows that we're talking about sort of deserved more. Right. Yeah. And when I see Studio 60, I, <laughs> I watch the season. More. I was like, okay, I've got it. Yeah. You know. Well, they also did a thing at the end of that season that didn't, that left you not wanting any more episodes of it because I guess they knew that they were going to, that it was going to be over. They wrapped up every single storyline with a bow in that last episode of that show. I mean, the brother in Iraq turned out he was okay. They got picked up for another season. They get married. They're like spoilers for everything that could possibly happen in a season of TV. But yeah, they really. But what's interesting when sports night, you know, w- w- went off, mm-hmm. there were outcries. There were p- fans taking out ads. There were, you know, there was yeah. lobbying. And when studio 60 went off the air, I, crickets. I, I don't remember yeah. there being an outcry. Bring back Studio 60. Yeah. Here, I mean, I was making that cry, but I think I, I think was I the heard only you. One. I think I heard I was the you. only one. I, I know I did. <laughs> the <laughs> The final moment, the, the one thing that really bothered me about Studio 60 the, is the very final moment of the series, which is they're on. He, it's Bradley Whitford, and he's on the stage where they do the show, and he looks around. And there's a ghost light in the middle, just, you know, a bare light bulb on a stand. And he looks around at the set and he kind of nods 
And he walks over and he turns the ghost light off and that ends the series. And I thought to myself, the point of the ghost light is it is the <laughs> one light that is on in the studio when all the other lights are off. And it was a perfect example of, yeah, but it's not as good an ending. It's a great ending if he goes and turns the light off. Accuracy well, be damned. The network was, you know, going after cost cutting measures on yeah. the studio electricity. Show, and they, yeah. they yeah. needed to save that electricity. Imagine if it had ended with him turning the light off and leaving and then a bunch of ghosts descending <laughs> on the stage. Finally, love, time. I would love a show that in their series finale just immediately introduced a brand new, completely different genre show like that. If when Sam Malone says, sorry, we're closed. Suddenly, all of the bottles stand up and start dancing Toy Story style. I would watch that cheer spinoff. All of these shows that are shows within shows, you mm-hmm. know, like Studio 60 or 30 Rock and stuff. Imagine, you know, they could be so much more creative if they just said, OK, we're not going to have our storyline be the network comes in, wants us to cut our budget. Right, right. You know, just take that away. Yeah. It's like so every every single is gonna show about job. a TV show is yeah. like we need you to cut the budget. Just once, I want the network guy to say, you know, spend as much as you want. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> no, I'll <laughs> tell you my favorite check. version of the network coming in and cutting the budget is Elliot Gould coming into the set of Star Wars back on uh, <laughs> SNL's early days. You mean Star and, Trek? <laughs> I mean Star Trek. Yeah, yes. coming into the set of Star Trek and pulling Spock's ears off. <laughs> And then he throws, pitches a fit. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Okay, let me ask you guys this, because there were two, uh, it, just because it looks like, objectively speaking, Sports Night comes out of the Aaron Sorkin single season or short-lived battle, uh, the victor. I have two that I think one or zero of them will come out of this. They're both very short-lived sketch shows with incredible casts that were ahead of their time that came out at around the same time. That's the Ben Stiller show and the Dana Carvey show. Mm. Ben Stiller show having Bob Odenkirk, Andy Dick, Janine Garofalo, and Ben Stiller in a single season Emmy winner. And then you've got the Dana Carvey show, which is Steve Carell, Stephen Colbert. Who else was on that one? Uh, Is that Smigel? Robert Smigel. And again, Bob Odenkirk. Odenkirk being the crossover. Legendary Writer's Room as well. Featuring uh, uh, some people who... Probably should not be working in show business anymore, but are oh, some, there and some of the canceled uh, comedians are in yeah, the so right plenty of canceled comedians that's sort of peppered in there. But it was yeah. a yeah, that's like a crazy. That's like one of those shows. Which one are we talking? I, I about? I mean, it's Dana Carvey, Dana, the Carvey. Dana Carvey show in particular. Ben Stiller show, I think, just like I don't think people were ready for it. And maybe not Dana Carvey. Like that show didn't belong on network television at the time, but yeah. we didn't have. Even though cable existed, if that show were to be made today, it mm. would have found a home somewhere else. It would have wound up on a Netflix. It would have wound right. up on some streaming platform where it would have been able to do its thing. But it was like crazy. It was almost like it's a ton of talented people and they're all very good at what they do. But also like there, it's, uh, there was a chaos to it of like, we, we're now we can do whatever we want, which can yeah. be great. And also can be like, there, there's a, there's a duality to that in terms of, of how good it is for a television show. Yeah. I think that's a good point. Craig, were you a fan of either of those shows? Uh, very much so. I think that I probably would give the edge to Ben Stiller. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just cause they're, uh, I think they were sort of, they, I, I don't know. It just seemed like they were going in more imaginative directions. Mm-hmm. Um, but, 
I, I like them both. Do you think that was singularly Ben Stiller's vision and creativity that led it in more of a out there direction? Possibly. Yeah. Possibly. I think that uh, he certainly was sort of had this uh, a very cinematic way of doing his yeah. comedy. And yeah, uh, I guess the other one felt a little more Carol Burnett. Mm-hmm. Like network in a Dana Carvey. I mean, even, even for a while, it was like Taco Bell presents the Dana Carvey show, and then down to the, like where they ordered lunch from. Yeah, like they had to find yeah. sponsors because the, sponsor. the network. Yeah, they kept losing sponsors because they were doing like the first episode. Bill Clinton. There is a, a really, puppies. Yeah, it's <laughs> a really good documentary about the the Dana Carvey about the Dana show. Carvey show. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's on Netflix, isn't it? There you go. Uh, or Hulu. Or which Hulu. is yeah, it's on one, one of those places where the show would have wound up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, it's, so I'll give the edge insane. to Ben Stiller on that. Yeah, the Ben Stiller show, like Ben Stiller as a as come he's on, got, he's one of those guys. Yeah, come on, do it, come on, do it. My wife's a fan. Come on, come on, do it, do it, come on. <laughs> like just every him as Eddie Munster, him doing so um, weird. Die Hard inside a grocery store where he just starts doing yabba yeah. dabba dabba yabba dabba dabba do like everything. He has such a clear voice as a filmmaker, both serious and comedic. Yeah. So he brought and developed those chops. I mean, like he was one of those guys that just didn't work out on SNL. He was there during yeah. that like kind of lost season and he was doing the, I think the bowling version of, of color of money was one of the things he did on SNL. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Oh, he doesn't belong here. He needs to do his own thing. And he was great when he did. And it, that entire cast is like, it's a crazy good cast. Got Jimmy Garofalo. You have Andy Dick probably. Yeah. Maybe outside of news radio, the best he ever was on television. Oh, yeah. And he was like a super, there's a reason why he worked as much as he did. He's really a really talented comedian and he was really good as part of Ensemble and Bob Odenkirk also. Like it was just a killer, killer. It was like just a group of mercenaries that came in and killed. Yeah. And all of the episodes are good. Yeah. But nobody watched. It was on Fox at a time when Fox wasn't really Fox yet. They had like the Simpsons. Well, it was when Fox was trying to swing for the fences. Mm-hmm. Was Cop Rock around that time? Because they were, yeah. was Cop Rock a Fox show? This is when Fox was doing crazy stuff. Cop Rock was ABC, uh, wasn't yeah, it? Was Cop, Cop Rock ABC? Cop Rock was ABC, yeah. But it oh, was Maybe they were just all swinging for the fences. I do remember watching, I think it only went, Cop Rock only went, what, three episodes? Yeah. Before it got pulled, I watched the second one where it started. It was not with, gone too soon. It was gone in yes. the right amount of time. <laughs> it started. Yeah, not it was on maybe our gone list. a little not too late. Yeah, yeah, not we're on not, our we're list. We're not putting that on the list. You have another one, Craig? Craig, what you got? Well, yeah, there's a, it, it, it's a relatively obscure one, but one that I remember vividly. Mm. It's called Morton and Hayes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Morton and Hayes was basically recreations of, you know, uh, 1930s two real comedies. Oh, um, cool. And it was, uh, Rob Reiner mm-hmm. would, uh, introduce another, uh, each week he would introduce another film found in the archives of Morton and Hayes, you know, Chick Morton and Eddie Hayes, or it was like an, it was like an Abbott and Costello team. And, uh, it was, uh, Kevin Pollack and Bob mm-hmm. Amaral playing yeah. this comedy team. And, uh, I think they were, I think they were done in black and white and the the wraparounds were in color and they would sort of take a, you know, a, a different sort of theme and they would have, you know, different actors playing their wives in episodes. And it was basically if you, if you took three Stooges shorts and merged them with Abbott and Costello, mm-hmm. this was what would happen. And it was basically, I think it was like six episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. 
you know, I just remember they did a, an episode where they happened to win a, a radio quiz show. And, you know, the, the character is accidentally answering the questions correctly. You know, he's on the phone. Yeah. It's like, what town in, um, in the great white north is home to such and such? And he's having another conversation when, you know, it's like, uh, hey, Eddie, when, when are we uh, going to eat? I don't know, Chick Alaska. I don't know, Chick Alaska is right. <laughs> I, I've never heard of this show, but for some reason, it seems vaguely familiar to me. Like, it's stuck in my head. Like, this is yeah. something I absolutely, had I known about it, would have watched when it was on in in uh, 1991. Mm-hmm. And I love having Rob Reiner, yes. who is who is, I mean, the guy knows genre work. I think in the last one or two episodes, they actually have Morton and Hayes as guests. So it's them, them wearing all the old age makeup and talking <laughs> oh, about great. how they ended their career, what they're doing now. Uh, produced by Christopher Guest also, Christopher by yes, the way. Yes. Catherine O'Hara yeah, showed Christopher up. Christopher Guest, Catherine O'Hara, young Courtney yeah, I think Cox the, is the, in there, Louis Arquette. Like a lot of those, right? Michael McKean is in there as Dr. Mumman. Uh, yeah, some of them are on YouTube. So uh, yeah. they're they're fun to watch. Now the thing is, I really think it's well done. It's a fun mm-hmm. show. I don't know if it could have supported like going a hundred episodes. So I don't yeah. know if you know uh, if it deserved. I think it deserved probably another twenty or so. Yeah. But I think mm-hmm. it, it may have gotten tiresome going a hundred episodes. And I don't know if they were planning to take this longer or if this yeah. was strictly going to be let's try this for six episodes and see if maybe we'll get another six or yeah. I kind of love that even though mm-hmm. that's not necessarily what you know if we're looking for things gone before their time I love a show where it's like let's just do this for a little while and then we'll do something yeah. else for a little while but this is a cool idea let's try this thing what a fun yeah I'm very excited to dive into this now yeah it's, uh, it's a yeah I don't I I Probably wouldn't make a finalist just because not enough people know mm-hmm. about it, but I love that we're talking about it because now it's something I want to go watch. Just even looking at what it is, like mm-hmm. I'm interested in seeing it. Next time we have Kevin on, that we're only going to talk to him about Morton and Hayes. And I know, right? Stories from it. Let's just get him back on and dive into that. Um, I, I have another on the phone one. right now. Oh. Is Kevin Pollock. Yeah, no. let's get him in here. Kevin, yes. Kevin O'Hara is here. <laughs> O'Hara coming in. She's in my home. She's here. What visiting. you got, Hal? Uh, okay. This is a show that there was a budget issue. The music was expensive. It was an expensive show to produce, but in the 18 episodes it has, and it feels like there were only six, it somehow captures an earlier period of time, mm-hmm. what it was like to be young and unpopular, and then what it's like as a teenager to try to navigate school. And that is Freaks and Geeks, which yeah. is again, one of these, it's like a pop culture nexus in terms of, Pretty much everybody from that cast has gone on to work. You have Sam Levine, Martin Starr, and John Francis Daly as the geeks. And then the freaks are uh, James Franco, who obviously uh, has turned out to be a garbage person. Our good pal, Busy Phillips. Our friend, Linda Cardellini. Mm-hmm. You have Seth, Seth, uh, Rogen. Seth Rogen and Jason, Jason Siegel. It's a Judd Apatow show. So, and he was one of the, he's another guy who came off of the Ben Stiller show. You know, mm-hmm. he's a stand up guy, but came off the Ben Stiller show and Paul kind of Feig Feig created it. Huh? And Paul Feig, it's a Paul Feig show. So you have like just, it's a who's who and 
it is a fantastic show. Joe Flaherty is fantastic in it. So is Thomas yeah. F. Wilson as the gym teacher. And just the way Gruber. Like, there's and Gruber. Oh my God. Just that is it is, a it's show. a perfect yeah. cast. It's the greatest cast. It's one of the it's greatest incredible. casts of all time. That is and a the, show that definitely deserves more. Yeah. Yes. It could have gone longer. It should have. You couldn't do it again because you couldn't get the cast back. But yeah. to have all of those people working on that show at the same time and have it be written as well as it is, that it has heart and it's funny and it's awkward and it's relatable. And yet you can also sort of watch it at arm's length. Mm-hmm. It is a masterpiece of a television series. And you look at it and go like, I can't believe that this didn't go longer. Like it is, it is maybe the perfect definition of unfinished business in a TV series because and it could have kept yet, going. And yet the ending of the season, it, the season feels complete. Mm-hmm. The series With them dancing does not. to let sail away. Isn't that, that the, isn't that the very last episode? Is it the dance? Well, it wasn't Lindsay, Lindsay left town and to go, you know, she was oh, going to go to, right. to a, a summer. A class thing, and yeah. then she ended yes. up getting on the the van and going to the Grateful Dead concert. Right. It's just yeah, because it it it's an evocative ending that sets up a second season that's, that's going right. to be different than the first season. But yeah, it's a satisfying ending. I think that's yeah. one of the things that's frustrating to me about a lot of these short run shows, mm. uh, especially in the whole science fiction and and mm-hmm. fantasy realm, is that they set up these serialized stories. And they don't resolve them. And that's why I, I won't I won't start usually watching a science fiction television show until it's been on and, and has been successful for a while. Right. Because I just sort of feel like it's they're going to take it away. They're going to rip it out, <laughs> rip it out, rip out my heart. And, right. and I won't get an ending. Yeah. But do you, uh, do, but do the, you agree, uh, Craig, that this would be a contender? Even oh, though it absolutely. has. This is yeah, a, like yeah. it's great to have the satisfying ending, but also like. That needed more. I yeah, want more it, than that. It, yeah, it mm-hmm. definitely, I, I think that's a show that could have gone on four or five years. It would have been, yeah. uh, I, I think, I don't know if it would be as regarded as it is now, because mm. sometimes, just as you have with Jimmy Dean and Marilyn Monroe, I should say James Dean, not Jimmy Dean, the sausage guy, but James sure. Dean, Marilyn Monroe, <laughs> one of the reasons they, they achieved legendary status is that they weren't around a long time. So yeah. would freaks and geeks be as beloved if, if it ran for six or seven years? It's interesting because it's a high school show and mm. Glee went on for too long. Because yeah. what do you do when a high school show is done? You follow the characters off into college. I mean, yeah, they made Undeclared, which wasn't the same characters, but sort of a, you know, it thematic. The same sort of spirit. Thematic vein, yeah. But you do but, have kids that are freshmen in high school. So you, you have a way for it to continue. You have four years. And there, there is, yeah. like, they, they do benefit. You're 100% right, Craig, from that. There is the miss, there is like the intrigue of the question mark. What would mm-hmm. James Dean have been, even, I mean, all, anybody who tragically died early, John Lennon, what would his music have been like as he moved through the eighties and into the nineties and the two thousand? Like, we'll never know what, what those people produced. I mean, John Lennon is different. He leaves behind a much larger body of work, but yeah, James Dean, Marilyn Monroe, people who, mm-hmm. people and shows, things that are gone too soon. You're always left to wonder, and what you're left with is if it's really good, you kind of don't want like, oh, I don't want this. I don't want to think it ever could have been bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I have uh, 
You know, it's funny. We've talked about the main ones that I wanted to get to, except for two. I have two left on my Mm. personal list. And these are ones that I did not. I've not seen the entire series of either of these. But knowing that this was going to be our topic this week, I dove into them and Mm. loved them. And I will probably finish what there is of them. The first of them that I will point out is what I think is a perfect marriage of writer and performer. And that is, I think that Amy Sherman Palladino's script in the hands of Sutton Foster, Broadway star Sutton Foster, I think Bunheads is underrated as a hilarious and brilliant, brilliant show. Every script pops. Every character is perfectly crafted and they're just unique enough from one another that you can really, because it is, I mean, when you're dealing with something like ballet, that there are going to be a lot of people who look very much the same. I mean, they're called bunheads. They're like, everything is uniform about them, but the way that they differentiate those characters This is just among the young performers playing the ballerinas in it who are great. But the main thing in that is just Sun Foster knows how to deliver Amy Sherman Palladino's scripts. And she's so funny and so real and so good on that show that I didn't want that one to go without a mention. Yeah. I've either of you guys uh, seen, I highly recommend if you haven't. uh, I I have not, but I do love Amy Sherman Palladino. As someone who I watched all the Gilmore Girls when Mm -hmm. we were growing up. So I did tune in to to Bunheads and I, you know, I did enjoy it a a great deal, but I think that it sort of seemed so Gilmore Girls adjacent that it was sort of, I think I I would have loved to have it be its own thing a little bit more. Yeah. Um, But I did, I did enjoy it. Yeah. Do you have more, Craig? I have, I have I, a couple. Do I, I have rapid more? Fire. Yeah. Does Craig, I'm, I mean, this guy knows everything. Um, well, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to give cape? you, uh, I, I think I, I can give you a few rapid fire ones if you do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's do it. Uh, Firefly, we didn't talk about. Um, yeah. Which I, I, it's one of the few, uh, short, uh, run, uh, science fiction shows that I really, uh, enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And you had your Nathan Fillion, you had Ron Glass of Barney Miller. It was a great, nice cast of characters and, yeah. you know, and, and Alan Tudyk. And, you know, it was a really nice bunch. And I think it was, uh, you know, it brought uh, Christina Hendricks to uh, attention. She, she was a recurring character on that. Yeah. Um, so I, I enjoyed that. And I, in the same breath, I will mention the middleman. No, sure. I don't know the middleman. Oh, uh, yeah. It was, uh, it was ABC family for a while and mm-hmm. it was based on a comic book. And the middleman is sort of this, uh, he was, works for a secret government organization that sort of solves problems. And he takes on this young protege to be the, the incoming trainee of, of the middleman organization. And, uh, you know, that's enjoyable. And then I, I'm, there's another category. Mm. Uh, which is sort of beloved shows that you remember being better than they actually were uh-huh. <laughs> and maybe shouldn't deserve to be to have gone on. But when you're 10, you think they should have. Sure. So I know that's a long category, but I would yeah. put a show like Salvage One in that category uh, and that. By the look on uh, Mark's face, he probably has no idea what that show is. But. Come on, this is Andy Griffith. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right? Yep. Andy Griffith salvage one. builds a spaceship to go to the moon. By the way, they should have just called it. It would have run for 10 seasons if they called the show Andy Griffith builds a spaceship. That's what, <laughs> <laughs> Why did know. they not do that? Like, give him a song to whistle. Come on, people. It's Andy Griffith. Exactly. Yeah. But I think the problem with that show is that they go to the moon in the pilot. Yeah. They've, you know, they've it's already like, done it. Yeah. Where, where do you go from there? Yeah. You know. It's just so the, them jumping sharks every well, episode. You know, it's they like, run okay, a, a shark gonna, jumping company. One of the episodes is we've got to bring a, an iceberg back to Los Angeles to solve the drought problem. That's exciting <laughs> television. Oh, I love that. But, and you so know, when you're a kid, you know, it aired in like 78. I guess I was like, mm-hmm. you know, 12 or 13. And, um, you know, that that's a cool show. You have Andy Griffith, you know, TV's Sheriff uh, Andy from Mayberry. Yeah. He's going around with Joel Higgins. Uh, so speaking of Joel Higgins and then Andy Griffith, Best of the West, another mm-hmm. show that I think should have gone on longer. That was a, a sitcom, a multi-camera sitcom Western, which was rare. And, oh, cool. I've never even heard of uh, yeah, Joel Higgins Western. plays this this guy who ends up going to a town to become and he, he ends up being the sheriff in this town. Mm-hmm. And Leonard Fry uh, plays the, the town villain. And I think Andy Griffith comes in, in in one or two episodes as Joel Higgins' father. So this was like a multicam sitcom. Yeah, yeah. So I'm um, so so like saloon doors and then yeah. laugh track or exactly. applause. Yeah. Like yeah. that's how characters. Ma- oh, that's it's. Uh, uh, I think it's on com- DVD. Yeah. Sitcom and- characters making an entrance is one thing. Cowboys making an entrance through saloon doors is another thing, but I never thought that the two were on screen at the same time. Right. And that, that's the whole thing of the, those sitcoms that are sort of high concept like yeah. that or had a struggle. Like Quark sure. is another one. Mm-hmm. Quark was Richard Benjamin playing the captain of an intergalactic garbage scow. Awesome. <laughs> uh, show created by Buck Henry. I like Buck Henry, sure. Yeah, eight yeah. episodes. And uh, then, of course, When Things Were Rotten was another show that uh, had was very well remembered when you're, you know, when you're 10 years old, when it, when it's on television. And that was Mel Brooks's Robin Hood show from like 1974 or 75. Mm. This Before was Men when, in Tights. But yeah, this became Men in Tights. Or? Yeah. 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 Dick Godier played Robin Hood with uh, <laughs> Misty Rowe as Maid Marian. And Bernie Coppell was Alan Adele. You know what blows my mind is I have a screen open in front of me where I can find details like this. I'm guessing, <laughs> Craig Shemin, you do not have a screen. I don't have a screen open with any details. You just <laughs> know all of these people. You do you remember a show? Sometimes. You mentioned high concept sitcoms. Do you remember a show called The Charmings? Oh, yeah, yeah. I was obsessed with The Charmings when I was a kid because I loved my Disney movies. Hal, did you ever watch The Charmings? I didn't. The Charmings was, they went for two seasons. They went for, I think, oh gosh, how many episodes did The Charmings go for? 21 episodes, but it over the course of two seasons, they were a mid-season replacement. But the premise of the show was Prince Charming and Snow White get a spell cast on them for a thousand years and they wake up in 1987 america oh yeah, yeah. i do remember this yeah and it's it kind of like, like uh the the fairy tale uh meets uh witness protection exactly and then mm-hmm. the witch like the evil witch she wound up somehow in the thing and she had a her mirror on the wall was like a hip-hop uh he would like rap uh his rhymes to her i don't know why this didn't last i mean this 
Uh, yeah, it was it was bonkers, but I thought it was the <laughs> coolest show on television. I love. So that. I'm putting that as a finalist. I love that for you. <laughs> I have a few to rapid fire out there, if that's all right. Sure. Uh, and I do want to touch on Firefly because another short-lived show is Dollhouse, which started intriguing and ended just like. All right, we're ending it now and just mm-hmm. got really bizarre. The issue with both of them, as great as they are, is that Joss Whedon is behind both of them and he is, uh, like it sort of, it kind of taints it. Yeah. <laughs> like it goes like, oh, I, I, it's harder to enjoy. Some things are harder to enjoy knowing that the people trying to make it were suffering abuse. Yeah. But I think it's a solid, like, oh, I don't know. If you, you go back into the golden age of Hollywood, oh, it's hard sure. to find. Like, everybody, uh, like, yeah, it's very, very I'm not movie, saying, you know, like, you're going to watch I, The Wizard of Oz and, you know, yeah, and maybe think about, someone in that that wasn't being abused. Yeah. I, I mean, everybody. And I'm not saying, like, we shouldn't talk about it. I'm just saying, yeah. like, mm-hmm. it is a perfect example of a short lived television show that people were desperate for more of. They did get a movie, which is good. So there was, there was a little more given for it, but it also was because we know about it and because it's relatively fresh, it would be weird not to talk about it. Yeah. Here are a couple of other ones. One is my so-called life. Another, like, here's what it means to be a certain age and struggling at a certain point in your life. It's Claire Danes and Jared, Jared Leto. And they tried to to put it on MTV to try to get more viewers. It just like people weren't watching it, but it has become like a touchstone. People know who Jordan Catalano is, even though the show hasn't been on the air for almost 30 years. I think more people have. I think a lot of people have like they say the Velvet Underground, not a you know, not everybody knows, but everybody that did formed a band like everybody Mm -hmm. I knew in theater school had my so-called life on DVD. Yep. They had, that was in everybody's collection. The show did not do well when it was on television in 92, but a decade later or, uh, you know, a few years later, everybody had it on DVD. All of the artist kids that I knew growing up. I was just trying to think of like which other one. I think Pushing Daisies is worth a mention, mm. which yeah, is I another like wildly popular. That's the Lee Pace. Yeah. Where he's, where he can bring people back to life to With help Jim solve Dale the murder. Was the narrator. They did a great episode where it was themed to Pete's Dragon. That mm. with Jim Dale narrating. Yes, and there was oh, like there was a there was a lighthouse, and then you know there was like a, oh, a kid, and then there, there were. I think they sang. I think Kristen Chenoweth sings "Candle on the Water" in it. I love that. And song. it was just sort yeah. of like a bunch of like little references to Pete's Dragon. And then, then the other one that I feel like we can't really leave this without talking is Jackie Gleason's game show, You're in the Picture, which lasted for two episodes and ended with him <laughs> apologizing to a national television audience for putting on a show that insulted their intelligence and promising wow. to do better. Do you know this show, Mark? <laughs> no, I've never heard of this. That's brilliant, though. It aired. This is post-Honeymooners. He's already done the Jackie Gleason show, and he's trying mm-hmm. to stretch. So it is... <laughs> It's a cut, it's a painting with a cutout and famous person sticks their head through the hole and asks, uh, th- they ask yes or no questions to figure out, uh, what scene they're part of. And if they scene. did, yeah, like what painting am I in? Oh, like I, I might see. be in, in like a, a famous Serrat or a Degas or, or, you know, just some famous, like the night watchman and you have to figure it out by asking yeah. yes or no questions. Oh and it gosh. was, uh, terrible. But then uh, however, the second episode. Yes. And the second episode, 
She apologized. <laughs> but the panel in the premiere for you Disney fans uh, features Pat Carroll, who went on to play Ursula. And also Arthur Treacher. So really just uh, loaded. I, I mean, it's just. So, so yeah, this it's is, a great at one point. He's Arthur Treacher's putting his head through the thing and say, Jackie, <laughs> am I a man? Yes, Arthur, you're a man. Yeah. This is, I see why this, do you think two episodes was too few? Well, they, the only episode only, they only did one that was the actual show. The second yes. episode was Gleason just sitting in front of a curtain with mm-hmm. a, a coffee cup full of, of booze. Mm-hmm. basically explaining <laughs> how the first episode got on the air. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that is, that is the definition of a short lived TV show right and there. The, the beauty is one episode and one apology. Well, if, I think if, it was a shorter show. Turn on, I think was, was short. Yes. That was one episode, right? Yeah. It, it, I think it was, was almost canceled after the first commercial. That was, that was ABC's uh, laughing knockoff that they did. Uh, but if here's the interesting thing about you're in the picture, we've talked about it way more than I thought we would at this point, <laughs> although I knew you would know it, Craig, and, and have something to add. But you can watch both the premiere and Gleason's apology from the original broadcast at the Paley Center for Media in New York City. But the apology is widely like you can find it on YouTube. Yeah. And it is amazing to watch him admit I, like I knew about this show because I read about it in Uncle John's Bathroom Reader when I was a kid. About like the biggest flops of all time. This is considered one of the greatest television failures in history from one of the most beloved stars in television history who starred in one of the most beloved sitcoms in American television history. Yeah. So it's just, uh, it's fascinating. And you thought me. as a little kid reading this in the bathroom reader, one day they'll invent something called YouTube and I'm going to watch this show. I am going to talk about it. We are going to have a conversation. There's a about thing called this. a podcast in the future. <laughs> I do have one more. I've one I more. do. Sorry. I have one more too. The other one I have is Babysitters Club, which was canceled off of Netflix after two seasons. Of course, too soon. it features our friend Mark Evan Jackson. But it is for someone who did not read the books. You know, I watched it because I love Mark and I will support anything that he does because he's fantastic and a wonderful human being. On top of it, I did not expect the show to have the heart that it did, to suck me in the way that it did, for the cast to be as amazing as they were. And the the show was gone too soon, mm. could have and should have gone much longer. Yeah. I want to throw out one more as well. This is of the two that I mentioned before that I was like, I, I did a little, you know, knowing that we were going to do this, I did a dive into some of the ones I went online and found some that people were really speaking highly of. And one that I saw and I, I just, I, it's recent, so it's on my mind. I've never seen a show swing for the fences like this. And I think for my personal tastes, for I think objectively speaking, it's kind of a mess. But for my personal taste, I loved it. You're talking about the Brady Brides, right? The yes, Brady Brides. That's it. I am talking about the Netflix series from 2016, <laughs> The Get Down. Baz Luhrmann introducing mm. the world to the hip hop of the late 1970s in the Bronx via David Diggs playing a rapper in 1996 doing lyrics by Nas, narrating the story of these four or five kids creating hip-hop in 1977 in a screenplay written by Baz Luhrmann. And I don't know how to... I've only seen his name written. Uh, Stephen Adley Gerges, Jurgis, I don't know how you say his name. 
but he's a guy that wrote the MF Earth the Hat uh, that blew up Bobby Cannavale. He's just a brilliant Broadway writer. It is one of those shows. It's a mess. There, he uses multiple different film stocks. He has some scenes that look like it's the seventies. The special effects are a crazy mishmash of a show that went way over budget, but it plays, I mean, it plays like four kids having a fantasy memory of what the creation of hip hop was. Now, do you so get the feeling that they wanted eyes. to do more or was it, it wasn't intended? I got the feeling they wanted to do more. This doesn't feel like the audience was clamoring for more. It feels like the filmmakers were clamoring for more. And Netflix gotcha. was like, this is way too expensive. It was $120 million for the season. So you're telling me Baz Luhrmann spent too much money making something that was <laughs> tonally all over the place and just a huge mess. And then and I love someone like that. Couldn't figure out a genre or an era of music to stick with. Have you yeah. seen Elvis? Yeah, it is. Everybody's I, in a different movie. Yeah. Everybody's on in this, a different on movie. On this show, everyone on this show is on a different show. And one of the most fascinating ones is Jimmy Smith's who is doing this crazy over the top street level good guy, but he's rough around the edge. It's, it is a, it is bonkers. The pilot is the length of a movie. Like I can see where Baz Luhrmann was just completely unrestrained in this, but I highly recommend it. It is a delight. That said, I am going to read off what I think following our conversation are the contenders. I would just love to see somebody other than Baz Luhrmann tell the story of hip hop. I know, right? This Aussie coming in and being like, here's what the Bronx was like in 1977. <laughs> I was there. I was part of the Sugar Hill Gang. So tell me if I leave any off the list. And if not, we can start whittling them down. I was mm. I'm taking notes via paper. So, you know. Oh, so uh, shout out also. Shout outs to Andy Barker, P.I. and The Tick. Those were the other two on my oh, honorable yeah. mentions list. Yes. Oh, and uh, Andy Richter Saves the Universe. Andy Richter yeah. Saves the Universe. I mean, he's had a couple of shows before their time. It's like too good for us. It yeah. was like too good for this world. We couldn't That's appreciate right. it. Here's what I have on the list. I have Firefly, Police Squad, mm. Brooklyn Bridge, Freaks and Geeks, Sports Night, The Ben Stiller Show. Are there any others that we mentioned that we think are that really piqued our interest that can knock one or more of those off? And I will no, add and them not to the, the list. Brady Brides. Not, not the, the Brady, Brady Brides. Brides. We, we could do another episode just on Brady episodes. Oh, my God. A, a Brady oh yeah, the Variety Show. Brady Variety Show. The Brady the Brides, Brides was the which drama. Was like, oh, the Brady's was the drama. Yeah. The Brady oh, Brides oh. was the sitcom. It's unique because yeah. it's the only franchise that has done an animated series, a variety show, a sitcom, um, live audience sitcom, a film sitcom, and a uh, one-hour drama. And a reality show. That's pretty show. crazy. Yeah, that they've really done... Uh, oh wow! They re- they've done multiple reality shows because they did the the Peter uh, I can't remember his actual well, yeah, Michael they did the the, uh, uh, yeah. the Brady the House uh, yes. renovation. Thank you, thank you, Discovery Plus for letting me sit and watch that because it was fascinating. I also love that Mike Lookinland is a contractor, so he's actually yes. in there. Like, what are we gonna? How are we leveling this off? Anybody bring a chalk line? Like he's like knows what he's doing. I think those are are the main contenders that you spouted off. Yeah. Well, if that is the case, let us start eliminating them one at a time. We'll go around the horn. Hal, how are we doing this? Uh, wait, uh, how many do we have? First of all, remind me how many we you have, had. I got lost six. in the Brady's, we which have is the new show coming out. Sports Night, the Ben Stiller Show, Freaks and Geeks, Firefly, Brooklyn Bridge, and Police Squad. Oh. It's a good six. 
Um, I, I'm wondering if we, out of that list, does anybody, do we all have one that we think is the best short-lived series? Yes. You have one, you have a number one in your head. Craig, do you have a number one in your head? I think I do. Okay, I have a number one in my head. I, we don't have to say it at the same time because the internet makes that a mess. But I'm just curious, like we don't have to get into a discussion about it. We, we can go round robin if we don't reach a consensus, but I'm curious, Craig, what would your pick be out of this list? I think that while other shows may be funnier or mm-hmm. more dramatic, I think Freaks and Geeks in terms of the whole scope of uh, the topic at hand, I think mm-hmm. that was probably the show that's the, the highest quality show that deserved to have a longer run. And I think like, I think like police squad is a funnier show, but it got some love in as mm-hmm. a fr- film franchise. Yeah. And it also like, there's nowhere else they could use you, you. We've seen, we have the benefit of seeing where it went. Mm-hmm. Like by the time they got to 33 and the third were, we're and now they're, they're going to be rebooting the police squad film franchise with, yes, Hader, with Liam right? Neeson. Yeah. Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson. Who I thought it was going to be Bill choice. Hader doing. Liam Neeson. No, you you guy. have to have the dramatic. You have to have a serious guy. Into, yeah. But that yeah. was yeah. That's what uh, 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 Leslie Nielsen was. He was a serious. He was actor. the Virginian, wasn't he? That was his yeah. big. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I would also. Say but I, I would kids. give. Uh, yeah, I would give honorable mention to Brooklyn Bridge. Yeah. yeah, Brooklyn Bridge is one I want to watch. I don't think it has the cult following, but the beauty of doing a show like this is everybody listening and Mark and I, I know you've seen everything, Craig, but we get to go enjoy some of these shows. Like, I want to go watch Brooklyn Bridge. It sounds fantastic. I definitely want to watch Morton and Hayes, which oh, feels yeah. like something that should have been on my radar in 1991 that I 100% would have watched. But I think that Freaks and Geeks is such a well-made piece and again, we know, same thing as you point out with everything, like we know terrible things were happening on that set. And, but to look at it as the piece that it is, it is an unfinished symphony. It still stands. The smart thing about making it about the eighties in the year 2000 is that it gets to live on in that way. There's nothing contemporary. It, there's nothing that ties it to the time in which it was specifically made. And, and it I think a, it, it resonates, like, you know, certainly it resonates very uh, highly with me because I grew sure. up in that era. You know, right. I, my bar mitzvah was 1979. Perfect. So it was, you know. Yeah, you're right in that pocket. And I definitely, there's enough that I remember there being a little bit younger than you, but still having an appreciation and understanding and living during being alive when that show takes place. There's a lot there that I recognize. And certainly as someone who has been a teenager and a high schooler of many ages and had my struggles being a geek pretty much all the way through, I identify with it in a really strong way. Like it, 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 there's something we can all connect to there. And that's, that's kind of the beauty of it and what allows it to live on. Mark, did you have a different top pick? It's, it's okay um, if you did. We can definitely, I mean, of, of to... Lua looks. Uh, technically, we said it had to go just under two seasons, and Smash went just under two seasons. So, with Smash aside, <laughs> I think, yes, it's uh, Freaks and Geeks was at the top of my list. Well, there you go. We, di- we don't have to eliminate anything. No. We get to that? leave all of them on the second place podium. Yeah, we didn't have to cancel any of the short-lived shows. Yeah. They get to remain. I, I think, as Hal was saying, you know, listeners, if you're still listening, mm-hmm. uh, the stuff we talked about and so much more 
There, you know, oh, yeah. people stream the same shows over and over again. You know, people will go through their fourth or fifth run of Friends or mm-hmm. um, New Definitely. Girl. Nothing wrong with those, but sure. there's so many rarities. Like on on Crackle, you can actually watch Salvage One and some of these other shows that they they you know you can watch Bridget Loves Bernie. You can watch uh, Fish. You know, you can, there's so many uh, streaming rarities on some of these free streamers, uh, streaming yeah. services like Plex or Crackle or Tubi. They just come up with the most ridiculous words and they put a streaming service yeah. attached to it. <laughs> you can watch these really interesting things. Not all of them are good, but they're really cool pieces of history. So watch them. people. Amen. Watch some cool old stuff, everybody. Yeah, people of the world, like that's, that's the best way to put it is the, the beauty of episodes like this is it allows us all to tap into, not only tap into the things that we love that were gone too soon, but to discover new things. And we are, we are like, I've definitely rewatched a ton of stuff. We rewatched friends, family ties, cheers. I think Jennifer has watched Downton Abbey 900 times in the last two years, mm-hmm. which are all I've seen fine. every Rick Steves episode a million times. Exactly. And there's like, there's nothing wrong with that, but there are other comfort blankets out there that maybe you haven't tried on yet. You may find one that's just as warm and snuggly as any of the ones that you work towards that just never got the love that it should have. And like check out all of these shows, but in terms of all the criteria that we laid out, freaks and geeks, which cannot be duplicated, replicated, we can't go back to it, is is such a fantastic piece of culture that it bears watching, and it is the greatest short-lived TV show of all time, asked and answered. Craig Shemin, thank Craig you Shemin. for coming on the show again. You are are a wealth of delightful knowledge, and it is always so fun to have you on. Oh, I love to be here. I love to talk about this stuff. And I'm fired up about the book, man. Yes. Everybody go by. I suppose you want me to tell tell people where they can get it. Yes. Where can people get Sam and Friends, the story of Jim Henson's first television show? Uh, You can get it at BearManorMedia.com, the publisher, or it's also available at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and find places you can order books. Very cool. It's fantastic. I'm so glad we got to talk about it more because everybody who listened, we are very lucky to have a super intelligent and pop culture savvy community around this show who love the Muppets. So if you, whether you've never heard of Sam and Friends or you've heard about it and think you know the story, you need to get this book and hear it in full because nobody knows this stuff like Craig does. You are, you literally wrote the book. Well, and I love your show so much. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this, but I've I've listened to that. And it's also, you know, so many of the people that come on as guests just are are so immersed in the pop culture. And and they sort of have, you know, you could hear coded responses in their dialogues. I remember (laughs) listening to a show that you did with Josh Molina and you're talking and talking. And then he just out of nowhere just says, oh, a rotisserie. (laughs) <laughs> and anybody who is, knows The Odd Couple knows that that's from the Monty Hall episode of The Odd Couple. I'm, I'm listening. I'm like, wait, did he just say that? He's, he's giving, it's a dog whistle to Odd Couple fans throughout the universe. We know that Joshua Molina is one of us. Oh, I love that. <laughs> well, thanks. Well, you are among that pantheon. Like, it's such a pleasure. So grateful to 
have you on the show, but even more than that, to be a friend. I feel bad because I, I literally, I hate to do this like on a recording, but like we should talk more. Like we never we talk. Should. And I, that's, that's, I take responsibility for that, but it's a pleasure. Like I just can't um, thank you enough for spending time with us. The pleasure, as they say, is mine. Well, no, thanks. Mine. Now we're in a fight. <laughs> no, don't fight. Come on, Hal. We have to do more episodes. There are plenty more topics to discuss. So please, people of the world, reach out to us on Twitter at We Got This Tweets or you can email us at We Got This Podcast at gmail.com, but go to our Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash We Got This Podcast. Talk about your favorite short lived TV shows. There's no way we could have mentioned them all, but we love when we all get together and share television shows we've enjoyed. Let's make recommendations to one another. Thank you to producer Ken Plume, the guy who makes it all happen. You can follow and support him at patreon.com slash Ken Plume. You can watch his wonderful show, Force 5, if you are a Star Wars fan or a toy fan or you just like fun conversations. It's good for all of those things and all the other wonderful things he has available there. Thank you to researcher Kate McManus for giving us uh, so much great information to use in this episode. Thank you to graphic designer Uri Kelman and QA engineer Jen Alba. And thanks, of course, to our musicians, Jonathan Dinerstein and Mike Furman for our score and theme song, respectively. And thanks to you, the people of the world, for giving us an opportunity to sit down with Craig Shimon and talk about his new book, to talk about some amazing TV shows that we have, some of us have never heard of before. This Kevin Pollock show, I'm very excited to go check out. Yes. And thank you most of all for just giving us the opportunity to have this fun time together. And uh if we were all collectively one TV show, I would not want one season. I want six seasons in a movie with all of you. And we're going to party it up at the premiere. So say we all. Amen. So That's say right. we all. <laughs> For Hal Loveland, I'm Mark Gagliardi. For Mark Gagliardi, I'm Hal Loveland. And don't worry, everybody. We got this. We got this. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.